Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. everyone welcome back to paranormal i'm your host marie and i am your other host nicolina and uh if you can't tell i'm sick so (laughs) sorry about my voice um just want to do a quick disclaimer before this episode that this podcast is a entertainment slash comedy slash paranormal podcast where we retell stories of famous hauntings as we've already used up all of our personal experiences (laughs) on the first few episodes that we've recorded. It's important that you know what this podcast is about before you click play or before you continue listening to it. Um, Because if you're here for a very serious, uh, deep dive with paranormal professionals who are prepared for Ouija board sessions or seances, this is not... This ain't it. For you. No. You're not going to get it here. If you want to feel like you're at a slumber party with your two girlfriends telling funny ghosts or fun ghost stories mm-hmm. and talking about the boys you like, <laughs> this podcast is for you. Mm-hmm. So welcome if you want to stay. And there's the fucking door. If you, you want to leave. <laughs> and we'll get into why it's important that we mention that at the beginning of every episode from now on Mm -hmm. in just a little bit. But before we get into that, I actually wanted to talk about something that's I think is more important than that. Yes. Um, We uh, did an episode a little while back about uh, Kitty Genovese. Nicolina had done the story of Kitty Genovese. And we thought it was really important to add something to that that we did not know that... um, or that we didn't know before the episode aired. Yeah. Um, we know this now because of a listener named Maggie who pointed it out to us. Nicolina had cited three different, like around three different sources. Three different, and, and like like ta- like the New York Times, mm-hmm. um, AB, I think ABC News, and mm-hmm. few, like they were credible sources that did not make any mention of this. So. Yes. This is obviously right, um, but important nonetheless. So I'm going to just read the message that we got from Maggie, which was a great message. Yeah. So it says, hi, I just commented on the Friday the 13th post because she did write a comment on one of our photos, mm-hmm. but I wanted to send you this right up to further expand on my comment. Uh, Kitty's partner, Marianne, is still alive. I just think it is important to include this in the conversation about this particular bystander effect. It wasn't simple carelessness. It was a hate crime that many people were okay with witnessing because, God forbid, lesbians be able to live and love in peace. And then I wrote back and I said, thank you so much. The next episode we're posting is our live episode. I very much look forward to including this on the following episode. It is extremely important to include this information. And she said, I'm grateful that you two lovely humans will expand on the conversation because it is a huge part of why I believe she was murdered. Mm. I feel like your listeners getting these details will honor Kitty and Marianne's life together. Thanks for your willingness to add this to the docket and helping to bring truth to the light. Stay brilliant. And I think the original post that she had commented on, she did a lovely job of the comment that she had posted as well. If I can find that one. It would be one of the most recent ones. It'll be right here. Um, Hi, I just started listening to the podcast today and I really love it. Obviously, I'm way behind and just randomly listening to episodes to catch up. 
I have a tiny caveat, an added rage inducer. Mm. Kitty Genovese wasn't a single woman living on her own. She was an out lesbian, and her roommate was her partner, which was A, why she was killed, B, a big reason why no one tried to help her as she was violently attacked. Right. Homophobia. Right. So, I had no idea. No, I had no idea either. Like, it, it's weird because a lot of these articles, like... They don't even mention that she she had like a a roommate a relationship. Oh, they didn't like even say they a didn't roommate. even say she had a roommate. Like it was like as if she was living alone. Like they didn't even want to discuss wow. that um, at all. Your telling of it was the first time I had ever not heard of the case. No, I had heard of it. Yes, but it was the first time I had heard the story, and it was really weird because the day that Maggie sent me that or sent Paranormal that message on Instagram. Yeah, the very same day. I have a routine that I go through before I go to bed on my laptop. Mm. I go to cracked.com yep. and read any articles that interest me that I haven't read yet. Yeah. Then I go to Lame Book, which is just like a humor website. Then I go to BuzzFeed and I read BuzzFeed articles till I fall asleep. Okay. That day, Cracked did an article um, and it was like, it's, it's a listicle, like five cases uh, maybe maybe it was about bystander effect or okay. something like that. And they mentioned Kitty Genovese. And again, wasn't mentioned no. that she was a lesbian. Right. And I was like, whole, like oh my God. Like, I thought maybe... I, I knew that you wouldn't have read that and not included it. No, of course. I no. knew you would have included it if you knew it. And I, But I thought, like, just weird that, like, those publications didn't put it in there. Then there's this publication from, like, the 2010s. That also didn't put, well, an online publication from the 2010s, but yeah, that yeah. also didn't include it. And it's a recent article that they wrote the day Maggie wrote that. Yeah, me. yeah. So it's crazy that, that that's not known, but I guess that wasn't so It much. wasn't part of the media's narrative, obviously. No, they just obviously didn't want to. Uh, yeah, they didn't want to consider it. A, well, I don't think it was tried as a hate crime, right? So no, probably not. They kind of can't really investigatively or journalistically state that it was a hate crime if it wasn't tried so, in court yeah. as one. Maybe, po- that's a possibility. I don't know. You know, like it's more people who are who are who knew of yeah, the case if, maybe if the realize is out that they're later. getting quotes from people asking why didn't you step in right they're not gonna say because she's, she's a, a lesbian. lesbian yeah right like I don't know For I don't sure. know but I felt I felt really bad yeah that I didn't know that or that we didn't know that um but we did source it using multiple sources and we just had no idea and I'm th- super thankful that Maggie pointed it out because mm. I agree with her I think it's very important especially because Marianne is still alive. Yes. That we add that yes. to the story. Yeah. Moving on from that, um, I'm going to get into why we have to put a disclaimer at the beginning of every episode now. Yeah. So we got a r- glowing review, you guys. Just glowing. <laughs> so, yeah. We, we've all just taken up like extensive therapy and psycho <laughs> psychoanalyzing and counseling now because of all the reviews that are just like really just cutting oh my god cutting into us so this person one jedi wrote the latest review for us and i'm gonna go through it line by line okay with my rebuttal so it starts these girls have the attention span of a cocker spaniel Well, one Jedi, I looked up the attention span of a Cocker Spaniel, and it's 15 minutes, which I think isn't that bad. I tried to... Back to the review. I tried to listen beyond the witless banter that is about as informative as a toilet paper roll. One Jedi, you spelt roll incorrectly. No. It's R-O-L-L, not R-O-L-E. No. R-O-L-E means like... Role the role the that casting. someone plays. Yeah, no, for sure. R-O-L-L is toilet paper roll. Well, these um, are very superficial and very cliche metaphors and similes <laughs> that he's coming to, or who or she, she, whatever. We don't know. They. Uh, they go on to say, but they couldn't get past telling stories of their personal experiences about everything except what the podcast is supposed to be about. Yes. I don't know. At the beginning of every episode, Nicolina and I do... Like to catch up with each other, as well as catch, 
up our dedicated fan base yes. with what has been going on in our lives for the last two weeks because it is a bi-weekly podcast. We have a dedicated group of listeners that are invested in updates of our life, that enjoy our banter, and that like when we talk to each other, not just about paranormal things. Like the message we received exactly. on Instagram about the girl who said to you that you make... Oh, I'm going to get that. You're going to get to that? put that in at the very end. Okay. So that's... Sorry. Hold on. That's okay. But also, we have told personal experiences about paranormal experiences that we've had. Mm -hmm. You can find those in the first few episodes that I've done, as well as the first episode that Nicolina was on the podcast. We've run out of personal experiences. We're not here... To go out and find more personal experiences. We are not paranormal investigators. And we've never claimed to be. No. And we're also not here to make up personal experiences (laughs) and devalue our podcast just so that you can feel like you've had a good first 10 minutes of our podcast. (laughs) Back to the review. If you are into girls saying like and literally every 15 seconds, this is for you. Honestly, that is like literally the most offensive thing anyone's ever said to me. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because I know that we don't and, and um, you're dumb. Most information, and you're dumb. And you're dumb. Most information is secondhand when given and bookended by the F-bomb. You're damn fucking right at secondhand. <laughs> um, again, I, I, I go back to what I said before. We have exhausted all of our personal anecdotes, all of our personal stories regarding the paranormal. We've exhausted them all. We have no more to give you unless you want us to make it up. Or we could go out and do like a Ouija board session or something, but I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid of it. Yeah. So no thank you. And yeah, I say fuck a lot. Yeah. And I I don't fucking care if you don't like it. There's an explicit content warning on the podcast before you click on it you don't have to listen to it yeah and also nowhere in the description of this podcast do we say that we are mm-hmm. explaining our firsthand experiences of paranormal events it in, says ever we have guests on that talk about theirs yes we talk about yes. a few of ours and we, we share other people's ones. stories of their experiences right. that is where we get the other firsthand experiences but yeah I don't know anyone who has had that many... No. Who has had 50 episodes worth of content of first-hand experiences. Um, Yes, that's... Right. Yeah. They go on to say, I rarely review any podcasts, but this one is so terrible, I couldn't not warn possible listeners. Let me just say this one, Jedi. You're such a fucking saint. Like, good for you. Warn them, please. Yeah. Unfortunately, there are only a few professionals in quotations, in this category. Again, oh, sorry. Unfortunately, there are only a few professionals in this category. Okay, then listen to them. These girls are definitely not. We've never claimed to be. Not once have we ever claimed to be. Then they say, like, they're so, like, talkative, like, about, like, everything. Like, literally not like para, like, normal, like, R-O-F-L. I didn't read that whole thing. I stopped at the Cocker Spaniel comment. This just person really has just really way, been hurt in their a lives. A really intelligent way yeah. to end a bad review. Yeah. So for you, One Jedi, what I need you to do is go back to your circle jerk after you're done watching <laughs> Star Wars and may the Force be with you. Oh my God. I know. I know that's not the same. Jesus Christ. Well, if we haven't alienated everyone at this point, and if you're still listening, thank you so much. Oh, there are people still listening because we have a dedicated I know fan you. base I that know. actually love us. That, like, literally love us. Anyway, it sounded like a team boy to me, but... If it was a woman, man, you are not or, doing Or the female, even just a middle-aged man, any, honestly. Any it sounds like a middle-aged man who maybe has nothing better to do. Right. But that's just my perception of that. I could be completely off base. Right. But actually, to One Jedi, what I wanted to say back to you after this 
glowing review, mm-hmm. f- dripping with intelligence, clearly, um, is another review that I got in my inbox on Instagram. And this person says to me, your podcast is my favorite. And I wrote, thank you so much. And then she said, something you might not realize is that you do make people, especially me, feel like they aren't alone. So sweet. Which was very sweet of her. Yeah. So you can leave your negative review. I don't fucking care because when I get messages like this Mm -hmm. one on Instagram, um, it just erases all of your hateful negativity and reminds me why we continue to do this podcast and who it's for. I just it's feel not like for you. I feel like the review itself was just bullying in a sense. Like it wasn't a it wasn't a critical review that made me want to change anything about what we did as right. a podcast. Right. You know, I'm like there are certain things that we can improve improve on. Audio, I'm sure format here and there, but we've already addressed those things. Mm -hmm. We want to make the content better for you. Yes, we do. We, but we also aren't going to change the fact that the overall format, it's not going to change completely Mm -hmm. into some sort of investigative paranormal content. It's never going to be that because we do not have time to work on paranormal investigations. We both have full-time jobs. Yeah. And we make precisely zero dollars on doing this this. exactly and (laughs) you want us to do that you're gonna have to pay us to do yeah there you go yes anyway so that was the opening of our podcast today and from now on on every episode you guys can look forward to hearing that beautiful disclaimer not the entire one no no no. just Just the the disclaimer of what we're about and what to expect yeah moving on to horoscopes do Mm -hmm. you want me to read yours first sure okay leo Information received today might make it possible for you to change your job, residence, or at least the way you think or operate. You might feel nervous at the prospect, but you will pull it off all right. Don't be afraid to go with the flow and make changes. This is only one hurdle in the course of your personal development. Well, not really news today, but I shared some news about the possibility of um, me taking over um, a business. So that's kind of something that I'm marinating on. Yeah. Um, but whether or not that that happens it is still up in the air. But definitely um, has some truth in some yeah. some way. Yeah. It's still something that I'm that's on my mind. So yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So Gemini, a close friend or your partner could propose an impromptu trip, and you might decide to go. You're restless for adventure. You may have been considering several options, but your friend's idea seems the most appealing. If this is a trip to a foreign country, you might want to study the language. You'll be surprised at how quickly you learn you learn it. Um, not at all true for me today. So sorry, guys. Yeah, fair. I got nothing for you today. Um, that's it. That's it. So our theme for tonight, you can go ahead and tell them the theme for tonight. Yeah, so I decided that um, because it feels like we're getting a lot of negative criticism from um, a lot of male energy, a lot of (laughs) male-dominant energy, Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like this podcast is very female-focused. So I feel like... We, sh- we, I decided that we were going to do, um, female demons and basically hauntings by females. Yeah. I did. I literally Googled vengeful female spirits. Yes. That's exactly what we're doing. <clears throat> so, um, I am going to do, uh, La Llorona mm-hmm. and you are doing the Bell Witch of Tennessee. Sweet. Let us begin with, um, my recounting of the, uh, Legend, I would guess it would be called, considered yeah. a legend, of La Llorona. Um, I got my information from um, Mirror.uk, which in the film section, because it, they were reviewing the film that was released called The Curse of La Llorona. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just pulled some information because they kind of uh, gave a little synopsis there. Mm-hmm. So that was by Joanne Rowney. It's titled, La Llorona, True Story, Real Grieving Wailing Woman Steals Our Children. I also got it from imaginespirit.com, La Llorona, Mexico's Legendary Ghost by Carol Nicholson. 
who is a certified psychic medium. Ooh. Um, <clears throat> and as well, La Llorona, The Terrible Truth About Mexico's Weeping Woman by Robert Lopez, um, found on ancientorigins.net. You did good. I only used one source for mine. Well, we usually I'm the one who uses one source, <laughs> know, so here we go. Okay. So, say the name of La Llorona in Mexico and watch children run scared. The Wailing Woman, or Weeping Woman, depending on who you ask, apparently committed such a horrific act in life that her spirit was then trapped on earth in death. She now roams the world tormenting children, at least according to the bedtime tale whispered into children's ears before they try and drift off to sleep. The legend dates back hundreds of years, with various stories popping up from sightings to folklore, TV appearances to films. The story is a complicated mix of tales, all depending on where you hear it. But the gist of it, and the most typical version, begins with Maria, a beautiful but vain woman who marries a rich man. Maria and her husband have two children, but after a few happy years, their marriage has, hits a rough patch. He begins to spend less and less time at home, ignoring her but lavishing attention on her children. One day, when Maria was walking with her children, she sees her husband with another lady. Oh, sure. Furious with what she has seen, she throws their children into the river, watching as they disappear. Oh, my God. It's only then that she suddenly realizes what she's done and is filled with regret. Maria runs down the river bank, wailing, Ay, mi hayos, meaning, oh, my children, oh, my sons. She desperately tries to rescue them, but to no avail. Maria then drowns herself, though others say she died of grief and remorse, and is buried in the village the next day. Of course, that's not the end of the, the tale. That night, the villagers hear someone crying. It's Maria's voice asking, where are my children? A figure in a long white robe, just like Maria's, burial clothes is seen walking along the river bank. Ooh. Some stories say that when she arrived at Heaven's Gates, she was refused access, banished instead to purgatory on earth until she could find her children. She was later dubbed La Llorona, meaning the weeping woman, and is apparently seen near rivers, oceans, and bodies of water always after dark. Over the years, as the story developed, her story evolved. Now people say she kidnaps children who look like her own kids, Ooh. or those who misbehave, which sounds more like a parent trying to scare their child into good behavior. Mm -hmm. Others say she attacks cheating husbands, but mm -hmm. all the stories have one thing in common— when she cries, you better run. Mm. The La Llorona tale is the one that has been passed on generation after generation, waiting until darkness falls to scare their children before they sleep. There are many traditions for keeping the wailing woman at bay, and some cultures using crosses, lights, and prayers are common when trying to keep children safe. But the real La Llorona doesn't come into your home or car, she doesn't lurk like a zombie. She is a mother in pain. She's a personification of grief. Yes. But now we're going to talk about the sightings of La Llorona. Yes. So the actual sightings of La Llorona. Um, so whether you think it's real or not, there have been several sightings of La Llorona across the globe. In the spring of 1954, a young woman named Joanne was traveling from Las Vegas to Pueblo, Colorado with her husband, brother-in-law, and cousin. They were heading north to find work in the fields and or orchards. As migratory workers, her family traveled from place to place where work could be found. Small dwellings are provided for the workers and often shared with other families. Joanne shudders when she recalls one very eventful night in such a place. Just after midnight, her group heard a loud moaning noise coming from the nearby river. The sound was slowly coming closer and closer. Frightened, the families came pouring out of their hovels, wondering what the noise could be. Terrified, they huddled together. Finally, braver men got into their cars and trucks to investigate. The men used headlights of cars and large flashlights to investigate the river and pinpoint where the awful mo moaning was coming from. Just when they closed in on the moaning, the wailing moved to the opposite side of the river. Back across the river, the little caravan went, following the wailing sound, and then, as before, the sound switched again to the other side. 
This went on about four times until they finally decided to give up. Just then, the moaning ceased as suddenly as it had begun and all went eerily quiet. When the men got back, everyone begins talking at once. La Llorona was there, but the nightmare wasn't over. At a nearby cemetery, a strange noise began that sounded like millions of bees buzzing. The sound reached deafening pitch, and then it too stopped suddenly. In the early 1930s, on a late, sultry afternoon in Santa Fe, New Mexico, Patriarch Patricio Lalune Lawan sat with his family on the shaded veranda of his home. With his family gathered around, everyone was talking and laughing about the events of the day. All became quiet, however, when they noticed a strange-looking woman not far from the home. She was very tall and thin and dressed in white. Fascinated, the group watched as she seemed to glide by and then crossed a nearby ravine into a road. They did not recognize her from the area, but there was definitely something strange about this figure. The group continued to watch as she got to a place where she had to cross the river and then something unbelievable happened. The figure seemed to float over the water, then up a hill. She just seemed to glide as if having no legs, Patricio recalled. When the woman reached the top of the hill, she suddenly disappeared. Then she reappeared at a distance about 500 yards and then disappeared again for the last time. Stunned by what they had witnessed, Patricio and his family rushed out to where she had transversed so, so close to the house but found no footprints. They then realized they must have seen the frightening specter of La Llorona. Yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. So two brothers are visited by La Llorona as well. Sworn to by family members to this day, another sighting of La Llorona involved a young, impetuous man by the name of Epifanio Garcia. Epifanio was a rebellious son and often at odds with his parents. After one especially heated argument, Epifanio, accompanied by his brothers Carlos and Augustine, decided that they would leave their ranch at Ojo de la Vaca and travel towards the Villa Real de Santa Fe. Traveling in a farm cart, the two oldest, Epifanio and Carlos, were sitting in front with Augustine in the back. Turning onto the old Santa Fe trail at Apache Ridge, the brothers in the front jumped when they realized a strange, thin woman was sitting between them. It seemed she appeared out of nowhere. They later recounted the ghostly woman was wearing a black gossamer veil and silver earrings. The two boys remarked it was as if they felt her presence rather than seeing her clearly as a solid figure. The terrified boys continued on and the woman kept staring straight ahead, not moving. Epifanio wanted to stop the horses, but feared something terrible would happen if he did. Finally, the three young men, each in turn, talked with the phantom, but all attempts were met with dismal silence. Finally, after what seemed an eternity and nearing the town, the woman looked at Epifanio and said, I will visit with you again when you argue with your mother. And with that, she was gone. So, um, those are like some of the sightings. Mm -hmm. But um, my final source was basically trying to figure out whether or not the sightings were in fact true by a, a legitimate paranormal investigator got it so in seeking the ultimate authority on la llorona paranormal investigator researcher christopher chacon is a world-renowned parapsychologist and anomalist and one of the world's top authorities on all paranormal and supernatural phenomena as well as a supernatural occult practice as well as supernatural occult practices Chacon is the only scientific researcher to have conducted an in-depth investigation of La Llorona, legend and phenomenon. So he basically took about 2,500 experiences and tried to decipher whether or not these were actual sightings of La Llorona. He determined that around 1,700 of the experiences were explainable and not in any way paranormal. However, another 750 or so were in fact the result of real phenomena, though 643 were determined to be an entirely different phenomena altogether. So the remaining 107 experiences noted some truly curious findings. Okay, I'm very excited for this. Yes. So he 
I'm gonna go through his case studies. So there was one in Mexico City. Um, over the course of a few weeks, an extended family of nine that began experiencing La Llorona at first with glimpse of her shadow, always around the toddler's bedroom, soon accompanied by the distant sound of weeping. A priest was brought in to bless the home, but that didn't stop the manifestations from getting more prevalent. When La Llorona began taking on a physical form as an apparition and moving chairs and doors, a small baby camera captured the child's blanket moving late one night as if being tucked in. No, thank you. No, no, thank you. Um, The events brought the parents to take their child to a doctor to ensure their child was fine, only to discover that the child was suffering from a medical condition that, if gone untreated, could have been fatal. The manifestation stopped once the child had been taken to the doctor. Oh, so she saved that kid's life. Is that what you think happened? Maybe. Or do you or think she, she gave she him caused it? The, or she caused it. I'm not sure. But the manifesta- manifestations stopped after the kid was cured. So that's true. Why would she? Yeah. If, if she was trying to do that, she would have just come back. Yeah. Yeah. Right? True. Yep. Um... So in another um, instance, over the course of a couple weeks, the mother, father, and a teenage son began seeing ghostly glimpses of the La Llorona apparition near the two children in the family, though the children themselves could not see it. Soon, the chilling sounds of the weeping La Llorona were also heard in the middle of the night and at random times, no. disturbing everyone but the children, who could not hear it. No. The appearances and sounds continued to be more frequent and were even heard by extended family that had come to help. Concerned, the parents allowed their children to stay with their extended family for a while and the manifestations immediately stopped. That following weekend, a visiting cousin scheduled to stay with them for a few months had arrived and was told of the La Llorona encounters. A day before their children were to return home, law enforcement arrived to, arrived to arrest the cousin who was sought for multiple counts of child abuse charges. Jesus Christ. So she protected those children. See? She feels bad for killing her kids. She's protecting children. Oh, I have chills. Yeah. Um, so in another one, a mother and her children were staying with her sister and her family for an extended time and had moved into a rear room of the older house. Various family members began hearing strange sounds at night. Footsteps, cabinets, and doors opening, closing, and muffled crying. At random times of the day and night, the muffled crying was accompanied by the faint apparition of La Llorona that would manifest only in brief glimpses. The family asked a priest to come bless the home, but the ghostly occurrences continued. One night, the mother of the children awoke to see one of her children talking with what appeared to be the shadow of La Llorona near her bed. The shocking incident brought the child to tell her mother that the nice lady had asked them to sleep in the front room and not the bedroom they they were currently in. Though the mother decided to try and find a new place to stay, having nowhere to go immediately, she moved her children out of the back bedroom and into the house's front living room. Two evenings later, a thunderous cracking was heard and the entire household awoke to find that the back bedroom's walls and ceiling had collapsed entirely down into a type of sinkhole beneath the rear end of the house. See? Wow. Damn. (laughs) Damn. So this is why... So the next part of this is why I was compelled to share this specific... Okay. Obviously, this has the most credibility, I feel, of all... Like, this person has done these investigations pretty thoroughly. This Christopher um, Chacon guy turned his focus to theoretical origins of La Llorona and emphasized the importance of understanding how legends and and myths are created and perpetuated in order to put these long-established stories and interpretations into perspective. Um, So, over time... Folklores and legends and stories in general can take a life of their own, changing in a number of ways, and in the process, inadvertently influencing future interpretations. As with his investigations of eyewitness accounts, Chacon continued, conducted the research of the La Llorona legend with an unbiased objective approach, taking all possibilities into account before researching any type of conclusion. 
He continues, while the story of La Llorona may at first seem clear and straightforward, an in-depth exploration of it and its origins reveal a much more ambiguous narrative. Upon assessing the origins and timeline of the folktale, it is a good example of how sociological dynamics and historical and cultural conflation can affect information and first and secondhand accounts. He went on to describe how factual events, experiences, and stories in history can go through a metamorphosis of sorts. He states the majority of legends and myths start with an experience or incident, whether real or imaginary, that is so moving that whoever hears it are compelled to further share it. And with each retelling over the years, different versions emerge in order to fill gaps and inconsistencies. So the information that he discovered strongly suggests an alternative version of the La Llorona narrative. In a malicious act of spite and vengeance, a abusive father, not the mother, drowns their children. When the mother realizes this, she first attempts to save the drowned children, then in a grief-stricken state, commits suicide along with them. Conspiring to conceal the event and use it to his benefit, the father fabricated the narrative that the mother committed the horrific multiple murder-suicide. That makes the most sense. So this narrative makes clearer sense in contrast to the previous more popular narrative that had no reliable sources. Mm -hmm. This distorted, erroneous story fabricated by the father was embraced without question in that era and quickly propagated throughout Mexico over generations assisted, assisted by machismo, which is basically um toxic masculinity got it which um in that time was basically you know perpetuated and yeah and now we have the story of la llorona when really she was Was probably a victim victim in a situation that probably occurs more often than not oh yeah for sure when those happened recently yeah chris watts yes terrible brutal piece of human garbage yeah wow so that's the story and legend and I loved that one. Yeah, it's a good one. It's <clears throat> super proud of you for that one. That was really good. Thanks. Um Thank you. you're welcome. <clears throat> so y'all better just appreciate me because clearly I am unwell. I've got <laughs> no voice. But I'm here, I'm doing the damn thing, and I'm going to tell you the story of the Bell Witch of Tennessee. My source was mtnlaurel.com, so the Mountain Laurel, the Journal of Mountain Life, (laughs) um, by Don Wick in 1987. So, this is supposedly the most documented supernatural story in all of history. Which is weird because I've never heard of it before. Right, neither have I. It's unique because of how many people have had experiences with it. A lot of these people were highly respected and had good reputations, General Andrew Jackson being one of them. So our story starts in 1804 when John Bell brought his family from North Carolina to Robertston County, Tennessee. He bought a 100-acre farm on the Red River about 50 miles north of Nashville. The home was a large double log house, one and a half stories, with six bedrooms and a large wraparound porch. In 1817, the family started hearing strange noises, which they chalked up to being natural noises. It was mostly bumping and scratching noises. They thought that they were, like the wind was blowing, there was a big pear tree outside, Mm -hmm. and they thought the wind was just blowing the branches against the home. They also heard tapping sounds at the front door, and they thought that was just somebody playing a prank on them. Right. It wasn't until 1818 that something happened that could not be explained away. The gnawing sounds. Ew. Yep. According to Richard Bell, he and three of his brothers were asleep when they woke up because they heard what sounded like a rat gnawing on the bedpost. They lit a candle to see where the noise was coming from, but as soon as the candle was lit, the sound stopped. They searched the room but found no rat, and they went back to bed. As soon as the candle went out, the noise started up again. The same thing happened with the lighting of the candle and the searching for the rat. 
No rat was found. The phenomenon started happening nightly. Okay. The sound started moving from room to room until the entire family was awake. It would then stop and start again as soon as the lights went out. Then there was scratching noises that sounded like a large dog was at their door. And honestly, sign me up is what I wrote. Yeah. <laughs> I like large dogs. <clears throat> there were sounds of heavy stones dropping on the floor, chairs falling over, and chairs dragging. There were also sounds of someone smacking their lips and sounds of someone strangling or choking. Ew. And the blankets started being pulled off of the ends of beds. And honestly, count me out. Yeah. Count, count me the fuck out. <laughs> then things took a violent turn. Something invisible started pulling the family's hair, <gasps> twisting and jerking it around uh. until the family members would cry out in pain. At first, the family kept the going-ons a secret mm -hmm. until John Bell, who I think is the patriarch, mm -hmm. told his neighbor and friend, James Johnson, what was happening. Johnson and his wife decided to spend the night at the Bell home to see the hauntings for themselves. And I wrote, big mistake. Huge. <laughs> yep. Uh, like clockwork, as soon as everyone fell asleep... The gnawing, scratching, blanket-pulling, lip-smacking, and choking sounds began. Invisible hands started smacking Elizabeth Bell across the face until her <laughs> cheeks turned red. Jesus. After that night, word got out that the house was haunted, which caused all sorts of people to start coming to stay at the Bell house, investigate, and offer help if they could. They started trying to communicate with the spirit, by asking it questions that could be answered with numbers, like how many people are in the room, etc. The answers would come in the form of quick knocking noises and would always be the correct number. Oh. Lights, candles, and lamps began appearing in the trees across from the yard and through the fields of the farm. Then, something unseen started hurling logs, branches, wood, and stone at visitors and at family members. <laughs> And they were extremely accurate with their aim. Oh my god! And the items seemed to come from nowhere. <clears throat> Attempts at trying to communicate with the entity came with an unexpected result. Whatever this thing was, it began to talk. Mm. At first, it was a low and broken whistle, but the voice eventually gained strength. It became a clear whisper and eventually grew into a clear and feminine voice. One of the first questions asked was, what are you? To which it replied, I am a spirit. I was once very happy, but I've been disturbed. That's all that it would say about itself. Hmm. In all the time it stayed with the Bell family, it was reluctant to talk about itself. Students that studied the spirit thought that it didn't really know who or what it was, and much of what it said was conflicting. One time, it said it was the spirit of an Indian who had once lived in the area. Another time, it said that it was the spirit of an immigrant who had buried a treasure under a large rock by a spring on the banks of the river and that it wanted Elizabeth Bell to have it. The spirit gave instructions on how to find the treasure, but after searching for it, the spirit began laughing at them for believing the story. Another time, it claimed to be Old Kate Bat's witch. Now, Kate Batts was a neighbor to the Bell family. Mm -hmm. Her and John Bell had a violent disagreement when the family first moved into the home. Many people in the area believed she was a witch. She had a habit of begging women for pins. So, for pins, I don't know, like in the 1800s, like a safety pin, like I'm not huh. sure exactly. But she would be beg them for pins. And according to superstitions in that day, loaning a pin to a person gave that person witch-like control over the original owner of the pin. Oh. Not everyone believed in witches, but everyone did hide their pins if Kate Bats ever did come to call on them. Whether or not that is who the spirit was, the name stuck. It was from then on known as the Bell Witch, or to most people, Kate, which the spirit happily accepted. It was really hard to get the Bell Witch to stop talking. She loved getting into religious and philosophical discussions with the visitors that would come to the home regularly looking for the spirit, and she would often cite scripture to prove its points and rarely lost a debate. 
Okay, so up until this point, honestly, I'm going off script here. Mm-hmm. I thought maybe somebody in the family knows how to throw their voice. Maybe, like, they're pranking these people somehow. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Then this happened, and I was like, dear God. Apparently, the spirit would attend church services at two different churches and could replay services that it attended word for word. What? While mimicking, like perfectly mimicking the voices of the two pastors with incredible accuracy. Oh, what? Yeah. And I was like, okay, no one's that good. No. Not in the 1800s. Yeah. One time, the Bell Witch apparently got drunk and kept everyone up all night with curse words and drunken singing. Okay. It was around this time that an entire family of spirits joined the Bell Witch at the Bell Farm. She introduced them as Black Dog, Mathematics, Sippo Criffy, and Jerusalem. Those are their names. Okay. Now there were five distinct and different voices. Kate, or the Bell Witch, was a delicate and feminine voice. Black Dog had a harsh feminine voice. Mathematics and... I don't know how to say this. Sippo Criffy had (laughs) delicate feminine voices... And Jerusalem sounded like a boy. The five spirits kept the house in constant chaos. The four other spirits would come and go, but the bell witch always stayed. She loved to perform for the steady stream of visitors, and Elizabeth Bell was usually her victim when she wanted to show off what she could do. She would be prodded, poked, and pricked with invisible pins. She would be slapped across her face, Combs would fly out of her hair and smash on the floor. Her shoes would unlace themselves and be thrown across the room while the bell witch laughed. She tormented Elizabeth to the point that the bell family was afraid to leave her alone because they thought the witch would kill her. Two of her friends from the neighborhood spent most nights with her and were witness to what Elizabeth endured. Even when Elizabeth would spend the night away from the home, the witch would follow her. Eventually, Elizabeth fell in love with a boy named Joshua Gardner. He came from a highly esteemed family, but for some reason the witch didn't like him. It begged Elizabeth not to marry him and did everything it could to break them up. The witch also had a hatred for John Bell. It never did explain why it hated John, but it would swear that it would kill him. John began to suffer attacks where his tongue would swell and stiffen in his mouth. He wasn't able to talk or eat. And he said that it felt like a sharp stick was wedged across his mouth. Mm. The witch laughed at him as the occurrences would become more frequent and worse. She would again repeat the vow to kill him. So even though the witch could be super vengeful, she could also be really helpful when she wanted to. One time when John Bell Jr. was planning a trip back to North Carolina to help settle his father's share of an estate... The witch told him not to go because the estate had not been settled yet and it would be a waste of his time. John Jr. said he wanted to go anyway. The witch told him it was a mistake. She told him that a young, beautiful, and rich woman, and then in brackets I wrote, Nicolina? (laughs) (laughs) Was coming to visit relatives in their town and that he would make her his wife if he stayed. John Jr. went to North Carolina anyway. He was gone for six months, and he came back with no money. While he was gone, he found out the witch was right about the young... uh, The witch was right about the young, rich woman coming to visit relatives in the area. But she went back home before John Jr. returned, and he never got to meet her. Mm. There was one member of the family that the witch seemed to like, and that was Lucy Bell. Uh, The witch always spoke to her with respect and would give her helpful advice and would tell her what was going on with her family in North Carolina. One time, Lucy fell ill and the witch was worried about her. It would sing to her and when she lost her appetite, the witch would bring her treats to tempt her into eating something. One time, when a group of women was visiting the home, the witch told Lucy to hold out her hands. She did, and hazelnuts appeared out of thin air and dropped into Lucy's cupped hands. Wow. Yeah, and this group of women witnessed it. Cray cray. Lucy set the nuts down, and the witch asked her why she wasn't eating them. Lucy told her she didn't have anything to crack them with. All of a sudden, there was popping noises, and the nuts were cracked for her. At the same time of the bell... uh, Sorry. As the fame of the bell witch spread, 
People started coming from far away to visit. One of the witch's favorite tricks was to tell these people what was going on with their family back, families back home, and she was never wrong. Then, General Andrew Jackson arrived at the farm with a group of men who were convinced they could get rid of the witch. As his wagon got closer to the farm, its wheels locked. No matter how hard the horses pulled or how much the men pushed, the wagon wouldn't move. Jackson finally threw his hands up and said, By eternal, boys, it's the witch. Just then they heard a sharp laugh uh, and a voice saying, All right, General, let the wagon move on. I'll see you again tonight. That night, Jackson and his men sat in the parlor waiting for the witch to appear and listening to a man telling them what he would do if it appeared while he cradled a gun loaded with a silver bullet. Finally, they heard footsteps and the witch's voice saying it was here and ready for business. That's what she said. I'm, I'm ready, ready for, for business. business. Go to business. I, it told Go to business. The, it told the man he could shoot, but his gun wouldn't fire. The man tried and obviously the gun didn't fire. Yeah. Then his chair was overturned. He got up off the floor and began dancing around the room and screaming that the witch had him by the nose. Mm -hmm. He was last seen running away from the house while Jackson and his men laughed. What? They left the next morning, even though John Bell invited them to stay longer. But Jackson was like, nah, man, I've had enough of this bitch. Mm. This witch. This Bell witch. So, sorry, because I, I'm so afraid of her. <laughs> like, I, just, I can't call her a bitch because I'm literally You're right. afraid she's going to come after you, eh? Okay. So I know that we've been talking about the witch and, like, you know, like, she's a disembodied voice, which was often true, but also it sometimes had a tangible mass and form. It claimed that it could change into any shape it wanted and claimed it appeared um, in the form of a large black dog or a rabbit. Sometimes the witch would leave the bell house to visit the neighbors. One neighbor, William Porter, had a very memorable occurrence with her. He was a bachelor and lived alone behind the Bell Farm. He and the witch talked often and had become friendly, so he wasn't afraid of her. One night, while he was lying in bed, he felt the covers being pulled back and heard the witch's voice saying it had come to spend the night with him and keep him warm. Oh, how nice. He told it that if it was going to spend the night, that it had to behave itself. He felt something slide into the bed beside him and felt the covers being pulled off of him as the witch rolled itself up in them. He said he suddenly realized that the form in the bed next to him was clearly outlined over the under the covers. He, and then he had an idea. He grabbed the thing, covers and all, and started carrying it to the fireplace, intending to throw the whole thing into the fire. But the weight of it got heavier and heavier as he approached the fireplace, and an awful smell started coming out of the covers. He ended up having to drop it and run from the house to catch his breath, and the witch never again got into bed with another person. Cool. By 1820, the witch started to take its toll on the Bell family. John's ailments became more frequent and worsened. The witch cursed him constantly, and the attacks on him became more vicious and more frequent until he was at times almost disabled. On December 19, 1820, he was found in bed in a deep sleep, and the family couldn't wake him. John Jr. got the medicine that was prescribed to his father, but the bottle was missing, and in its place was a small vial with a smoky-looking, strange, dark liquid in it. Ew. The family sent for a doctor, but the witch told them it was useless. I've got him, his, I've got him this time. He will never get up from that bed again. The family asked the witch about the vial they found, and she admitted that she put it there and had dosed John with it the night before, and that this is what was going to kill him. The family took some of the liquid out of the bottle with a straw and gave it to a cat, and the cat immediately started convulsing mm. and died. Shit. John died the next day, Oh no! and the witch was at his funeral, drunkenly singing as they buried him in the family <sighs> graveyard. What? After he died, the witch started to lose interest in the family. The appearances became fewer and fewer, and Elizabeth started to believe that maybe her and Joshua could get married. Um, they got engaged, but the witch wasn't done with them. 
Their engagement came to a sudden and tragic end on Easter Monday in 1821. They and several other, several other young couples had gone fishing. Joshua had gotten a huge fish on his line. The fish jerked the line, pole and all, into the river, leaped into the air, and then dived to the bottom, carrying the fishing pole with it. Those who saw it said that the fish was two to three foot long, feet long, and no one thought it was an ordinary fish, especially when it resurfaced later, still dragging the fishing pole behind it. That's when the witch's voice materialized, and repeated over and over again in a horrible voice, please, Betsy Bell, don't have Joshua Gardner. When the voice went away, Elizabeth gave Joshua back his engagement ring because she knew that the witch would never leave them alone if they stayed together, and Gardner knew it too. He eventually moved away and never saw Elizabeth again. Elizabeth eventually married a man named Richard Powell, who was several years older than her and was also once a schoolteacher. The witch apparently approved of him because it didn't oppose to the marriage and it never bothered them. Elizabeth died in 1890 at the age of 86. Once Joshua Gardner left, the witch again appeared less frequently. Later in the spring of 1821, the witch announced that it was leaving but promised to return in seven years. In 1828, things had changed at the farm. Most of the children had married and moved away. Only Richard... Joel, and Lucy Bell still lived in the house. The witch's return in February of 1828 was marked by the same knockings and scratchings on the outside walls of the home, followed by the gnawing on the bedpost and pulling of the covers from the bed. This time, the witch only stayed for a short time, and when Lucy died later that year, the witch again became quiet. The old farm was divided among the children after Lucy died, but for obvious reasons, nobody wanted to live there anymore, and it was used for storage for several years until it was torn, until it was torn down, but her stories don't end there. Joel Bell had a brief encounter with the witch in 1852 and his son, Alan, in 1861. Two more incidences were reported in 1872, and other periodic reports of strange, unaccountable occurrences continue into present times. Carney Bell is one of the modern descendants of John and Lucy Bell, and is a partner in the Austin and Bell Funeral Home at Springfield. He has had several odd occurrences in recent years, which he thinks could be the witch. Mm. In 1975 or 76, 1975 or 76, we're out of the 1800s. Yeah, what the hell? Okay. He was out rabbit hunting with four of his sons on the old head farm, about eight miles from the old bell farm. One of his sons spotted a rabbit and shot at it. The rabbit rolled over as if it had been hit. Then it jumped up and ran off. They chased it into a honeysuckle thicket, but they lost it. I put my hand down on what I thought was an old honeysuckle stump to get my feet untangled, and when I did, I discovered it wasn't wood, but stone. We took a closer look and found we were in an old overgrown cemetery in the middle of the field, Whoa. and I had put my hand down on one of the old headstones. The carving was almost gone, so we rubbed a clot of dirt over the carving and saw the name on the stone was Joel Egbert Bell, my great-great-grandfather. I had been looking for that particular family grave for close to 20 years. So, also just going to remind you guys, back at the beginning of this, mm -hmm. she claims that she could manifest herself as a black dog. Right. Or as a rabbit. Right. And they were chasing a rabbit. Rabbit, yeah. He also relates the story of the night he was house-sitting at his mom's house in Springfield, which was about 15 miles from the old farm. I was sitting in a chair reading a book when one of my neighbors called to tell me that Channel 5 television from Nashville was broadcasting a story about the Bell Witch. I turned on the television set in the living room, but all I could get on Channel 5 was zebras, which I assume is just like snow, <laughs> like static. Static, you know yeah, I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. I tried a couple of other television sets in the house, but I couldn't get a picture on any of them. Just sound, except for commercials. They came in beautifully, but every time the station went back to the story, the picture went out completely. Oh. One landmark from the heyday of the Bell Witch still remains on the old Bell Farm. There's a cave which was used as a storage place in John Bell's day, 
many of the 20th century phenomena take place in or around this cave. Visitors say that they have seen the figure of a dark-haired woman floating through the cave's passageways. People have reported being touched by something. Others have heard chains dragging along the floor. Some have heard footsteps. One boy had his hat snatched from his head and left on a ledge 30 feet up. Whoa. In 1977, five soldiers from Fort Campbell, Kentucky, were visiting the cave. One was sitting on a rock and was telling everyone that he didn't believe in the stories when something no one could see grabbed him and pinned him down. Mm. He called for help, saying something was sitting on his chest and squeezing the breath out of him. W.M. Bims Eden, the longtime owner of the Bell Farm, which contains the cave, has witnessed many of the 20th century encounters with the witch and has had more than his share of experiences with it. I can't say for a fact that it is, Eden said. All I know is what I've seen. There was a winter day eight or ten years ago, for instance, when we had about three quarters of an inch of, of new snow. I heard somebody knocking on my front door. I looked through the window and saw the image of a figure I didn't recognize walking away from the house. I saw it walk behind a tree, but it didn't come out on the other side of the tree. I got my shotgun and went out to the back door, but when I got to the tree, there was no one there, and there were no footprints in the fresh snow either. Jeez. Strange floating lights are still occasionally seen in the fields from, uh, of the farm. Many have chased the lights only for them to vanish and then reappear farther away. There's also the figure of a little girl that sometimes shows up along U.S. Highway 41, which borders the farm. More than one motorist has been sure that he's hit her, but no trace of hers ever found. The story of the Bell Witch has reached the status of folklore in Tennessee and much of the South, but around Adams, Tennessee, the witch is much more than just a musty old legend. The witch is still an almost tangible presence, and whenever something out of the ordinary happens, the residents around, around there are likely to shrug their so shoulders and simply say, the witch probably did it. And that's the story of the Bell Witch of Tennessee. She's fucking relentless. She's scary. She's fucking scary. Yeah, man. and she's like still like... I told you when around. I finished writing that, I was getting ready to come to your house and I had to call my sister because I was like, just stay on the phone with me till I'm done getting ready. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Scary. Scary shit. Anyway. All right. We cool. got a hometown. Yeah. Um, before you get into the hometown. Yeah. So one night, because our friends now after the live podcast mm -hmm. are very invested in this podcast with oh, us. Oh, really? So That's exciting I've been news. getting messages from people being like, I've experienced this. I've been, like, they keep, I'm like, listen guys, I am not a medium. Like, I don't know <laughs> what you want me to do for you, but I can't help. I and my help one you. friend was like, who was there? Um, she messages me one night at 12 AM being like, I am sitting alone in a room and the light switch just keeps turning off the light. Like it just Shut keeps up. shutting off. She's like, I've gotten up twice, turned it on and it shut back off on me. She's like, now I've moved rooms. And I was like, oh my God, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to tell you. Like, I don't, I don't know what to do for you right now. Oh, I'm afraid for her. I know. So I want to <clears> see <throat> if she has some more, um, yeah. Yeah. Cause they're convinced Please. now that their house is, is haunted. Oh my anyway, God, so keep scary. going. Um, okay. With our hometown. That's okay. So this one is from our friend Amber. Hi, Marie and Nicolina. My name is Amber. I have two stories for you if you're interested in sharing them. The first one is from a few years ago when my fiancé and I were... You know what? Can you read it? My yeah. voice is dying. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I'm yep. so sorry. Um, so, <clears throat> hi, Maria Nicolina. My name is Amber. I have two stories for you if you're interested in sharing them. The first one is from a few years ago when my fiancé and I were living in his sister's basement. Our bed was down the steps and directly seen from the door that led to our room. There was one day that we had decided to take a nap together and I was sleeping on the edge of the bed closest to the door. I heard our door open, and mind you, there was no one else home. It couldn't have been my fiancé. He was right next to me, sound asleep. I have a habit of sleeping with my head under the covers, and the sound of the door opening woke me up, and I opened my eyes. But as I did, I heard something roll down the steps. It sounded like someone has let go of a bouncing ball, and it went down each of the steps and rolled directly under our bed. 
I was so scared, I tried to reach for my fiancé to wake him up, but as I did, I felt something push my arms down to my side and felt a weight on my chest, like something was sitting directly on me, keeping me from moving. At this point, I'm shaking, and I tried to yell, but no words came out, and a ringing noise started going off in my ears. It was like someone has a power drill next to my head. After a few seconds, it stopped. The weight was gone, and I could move again. I woke my fiancé up and asked if he heard anything or felt anything, and he said no. I was so scared and worried it would happen again. But we lived there for almost a, almost a year, and that was the only time I had experienced anything creepy in that house. The next story happened less than a month ago. We just bought a house, and I had taken the day off from work to move some small stuff from our apartment to our house and unpack it. I was home alone, and it was like 2 in the morning, and I started hearing this noise coming from the living room. At this moment, I'm in our bedroom hanging our clothes in the closet. I peeked out of, out of the door because I didn't know if maybe someone was in our house or not. I didn't see anyone, but the noise continued. Our house is older, and I was like, fuck this. I'm not dealing with this shit right now. I grabbed my purse and keys, and I've never ran out of this place so fast in my life. I even forgot to turn off some of our lights. The next day was move-in day, and I heard the noise again. So this time I followed it. It was our fucking ice machine in the fridge. I felt so dumb. I said <laughs> out loud again, are you shitting me? My fiance and our roommate was like, what is your problem? And I told them about the incident before and they died of laughter. <laughs> but you know, better safe than sorry. Anyway, I love your podcast. Stay spooky. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Thanks, Amber. We all have dumb experiences, experiences that we like think that. is like. <laughs> yep. For sure. I have. <laughs> yep. So we're going to do our standard fuck, marry, kill to end this episode. Um, we're going to do villainous women characters, female characters. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you want to go first? Sure. So I picked Maleficent, mm-hmm. Bellatrix Lestrange, and uh, Harley Quinn. So I would fuck Harley Quinn. Okay. Um, I would... Mary Maleficent mm-hmm. and kill Bellatrix Lestrange. Yeah, I think I'm with you on yeah. all of those. Cool. Yeah. I don't really have any specific reason other than the fact that Harley Quinn's just the hottest of them all. That's what I think too. And then I hate Bellatrix Lestrange the most. Yeah. And I feel like Maleficent... Would have a nice house. Yeah, that's ex- literally exactly yeah. what I was... Literally. 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 Like, literally, exactly. Like, literally, guys. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to go with Ursula, mm-hmm. Regina George, mm-hmm. and Cruella DeVille. Okay. Oh, shit. Okay. I'm going to fuck Regina George. Bye. I'm going to kill... I'm going to... I thought I was going to kill Ursula... I'm killing Cruella DeVille. Yeah, DeVille. she kills she dogs. She kills dogs. Yeah, we gotta kill her. And then I'll marry Ursula, even though she's crazy too. She's so crazy. But at least I could like live under the water with her. Under the sea. Under the sea. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. I guess episode. that's the episode, guys. Yeah. Thanks for sticking Subscribe, through Subscribe, rate, review. Constructive, constructive review. review or not, <laughs> whatever. If you want to be a dick, we'll just call. We'll just call you out. <laughs> okay. Um, stay spooky. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, that showbiz. Bye, <laughs> bye.